Welcome back to the Health, Wealth, and Happiness podcast with your hosts, Bailey Graff and Natalie Bolin, where together we create a safe space that allows you to live your best life. Today's guest is honestly super exciting. All kudos to Bailey for finding her. The episode turned out amazing. And we really get into things that we kind of haven't before, like aliens and astrology, whether it's science-backed and did we go to the moon? I know Bailey was eager to ask that question. Oh, I love the conspiracy theories. Yes. This episode is really science-backed, but it's also super easy to understand. Like I've never understood space on like in simple terms. And this really helped me to just like grasp the topics that we were talking about. Yeah. And I... Honestly, I've always thought aliens were a thing, but after this episode, I kind of doubt that they're a thing. Like I and and intelligent aliens, I should say, not life. So I'm excited for you all to listen to this and form your own opinions because it's super digestible, super easy to understand. And you guys are going to love Daria. And, you know, one of the other things that I loved about her is like, so Daria is a PhD student and we'll go into her bio in a second, but she just makes it like she's, she's a regular human too. Like she's a girl in her twenties, super relatable. She's in school, but like she's doing life and like just such a relatable person. So Daria is a PhD student in the Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences at the University of California, Riverside. Daria completed her undergraduate studies in biology in 2017, where she was the first student at her institution to conduct research in astrobiology. Fascinated by the search for life on other worlds, she went on to spend two and a half years at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, working on exoplanet detection and characterization through computer modeling and space-based observations. Now she works to expand these efforts while furthering her education by sharing her science and bringing astrobiology into communities all over the world. Yes. So if you enjoy this episode as much as we did, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. We love seeing everyone's kind words also. I mean, even if you have constructive feedback, please feel free to give it to us, but give us a five-star rating. We love to see it. And follow us on HWH Pod on Instagram. You'll see all behind the scenes, some video content, snippets from the episodes so you can see what they're about before you actually tune in. And you'll see all of our partners and just really fun things on there. Yeah. And fun fact, Spotify does ratings now too. So if you've already rated us on Apple Podcasts, go give us a five-star on Spotify too, because that's going to help us out. Um, One more thing before we listen let you listen to this episode, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Now the link is in our show notes. It's in our link tree on Instagram, and you can also just go directly to our website, but links are linked to make it easier. Yeah. So enjoy this episode with Daria. So I guess we can start there. I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So, um, so as of today, so I'm 25 years old and I'm currently a PhD student in the earth and planetary science department at the university of California, Riverside. Um, I'm a second year, it's a five-year program. So I'm expecting to be getting my PhD in like May of 2025. Um, so I, definitely did not have a linear path to get to where I am. So I live in LA now, but I grew up in uh, the Eastern shore of Maryland in a really small town 
rural community, Salisbury, Maryland. And I was there from uh, the time that I was, you know, a small child all the way through college. Um, and I stuck around for college because I put myself through college. Um, my, I'm an immigrant. My single mother and I moved to the U.S. alone. And so I don't have like I didn't have like family support or anything to get myself through college. So I put myself through. And the best way to do that was to go to obviously an in-state tuition school close to home so that I could uh, keep working. I was a, a server and it pretty much was just how I paid for everything. Um, so I stuck around in Maryland throughout um, undergrad. And when it was time for undergrad, I basically, I was pretty limited in my choices, honestly. Um, now that I've like experienced going to other universities, we didn't really have a whole lot to choose from. And I always knew that I really, really liked science. Um, my mom was a nurse or is a nurse. My dad's a doctor. Um, I'm very, I was always drawn to science and I was always drawn to um, just that type of learning. And so I decided to major in biology. And when I was in undergrad getting my biology degree, I basically knew that I was enjoying what I do, was doing, but I had this really crazy passion and love for space and astronomy. But Salisbury University didn't have, they didn't have an astro major and they didn't have, they also didn't have any courses um, on it at all. And so without the opportunity to kind of explore that, you know, field, I just kind of kept digging straight uh, into biology until I was a junior. And I was signing up for classes and this class came up called astrobiology. And I was like, I have no idea what this word means, but it's literally combining like the two things that I'm really passionate about, right? Like astro and biology. And I saw that it was this class that was all about learning about uh, search for life outside of the, the, um, our earth, like the search for life on other worlds. And so I signed up for it and that class was, it was a pivotal moment in my life because it pretty much was like, okay, if you can figure out how to make a career out of doing this stuff, this is what you're going to do. And so I started out working, I started with doing research in, so I came to my professor for that class and I was like, I, I'm obsessed. I don't know what to, what, this is amazing. This is the coolest thing I've ever learned. Like, how can I get more involved? And he's like, well, I have a position opening in my research lab and I've never had anyone do research in astrobiology. If you kind of want to like kickstart that, we can like figure this out together. And so I did that. And during that time, while I was working, it was, I had, I had done like two quarters of research or two semesters of research and my advisor, the professor for that class, he invited a speaker for our seminar to talk about uh, the search for life. And he was a uh, scientist coming from the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, which is in Greenbelt, Maryland. So it's like uh, probably three hours, two hours, two and a half hours from Salisbury. And so he said, hey, I invited this guy to come and talk to you know the students about uh, what he's doing at NASA and astrobiology and all that. So I um, ended up kind of being the person that uh, showed him around when he was there. I took him to lunch and I pretty much ended the kind of tour that I gave him in my research lab and was like, look, this is what I'm doing. Um, 
I really, really love it. I think it's so cool. I want to keep working on this stuff. And I know that I have to go to grad school if I want to do this. This is my, this is my final quarter, my senior or my final, sorry, I'm in the quarter system now. Salisbury was a semester system. So I was in the final semester of my senior year, a month away from graduation. I had no plans. Um, I was going to just like take time off and, and do something. I didn't know what. So I said, you know, I'm about to graduate. I, I don't know what to do. Like, how can I follow this? And he was like, well, would you want to come in and do this at NASA? I'm like, yeah. So two months after I graduated, I started a position as a research scientist at NASA, basically working with him and a team of people and navigated my way through all different types of, um, of astrobiology. And so I was there for two and a half years and I was there for so long. I was actually only supposed to be there for about a year, uh, maybe two years, but uh, I learned very quickly that the process to apply and get into graduate school is extremely grueling. And even with my experience there, I struggled. And that was a whole thing that I had to get through. But I, I spent two and a half years at NASA Goddard. Uh, what I got mainly out of that time was that I really, really loved exoplanets. Exoplanets were what I wanted to focus my research on. And so eventually I got into a PhD program because basically the next step to do more in science is just to keep furthering your degree and getting a PhD. So I started my PhD program and I now do research on exoplanets. And I'm hoping that when all of this is done, I will continue to do research maybe at an institute like NASA or somewhere similar. But yeah, it's been a, um, kind of a windy path. Wow. What a journey. That is <laughs> yeah. so cool. It's, it's really, really neat to see someone too. Like I went to Salisbury and I'm just working in marketing and to see someone working for NASA is so, so cool. And I applaud you for like really putting yourself through that, not putting yourself through that. That sounds bad, but, um, <laughs> putting, putting yourself through college and really like taking the initiative to do that and find ways to do something that like the path wasn't laid out for you. So that's really cool. Um, so I'd love to know like now, like what is the day, a day in a life like for you, like researching exoplanets, what, what yeah. do you do like day to day? So, so day to day. So it's, it's actually pretty similar. So I kind of give like the NASA version and the PhD student version. So basically like um, the main difference between the two is that when I was at NASA, I didn't have to balance classes on top of everything I'm doing, but the schedule. And so the actual research itself is identical. Um, it's just the other types of responsibilities that I have revolving around that research that look a little bit different. So something crazy that I learned uh, very quickly when I started is that I don't know if it's just astronomers, like planetary, like space scientists, or if it's all research scientists in general, and I have a feeling it's kind of a research scientist thing, their days do not begin before 10 a.m. It's so funny. Like I would walk into NASA, like this building with hundreds of, you know, employees. And if I got there at like nine, I was turning the lights on. Like it's super, super laid back. So they're typically, um, you know, like kind of like late risers. You start your day later. You don't really, you don't have like early morning meetings. Everyone comes in at like 10 a.m. And then they have coffee together at like 1030. And you spend the whole morning just chit-chatting. And then you go to seminar maybe. And then you go to lunch. And then you spend the whole rest of your day, um, for me specifically, pretty much in front of a computer. So there's kind of two types of research scientists. I mean, there's more than this, but kind of really generally speaking, you have lab scientists that work in the lab and they're the, they're the biologists or the chemists or the people working under the hood vents and they have the, you know, 
clothes on and they're, they're in the lab. They can't do their research anywhere else. They can, they, so they spend that, they typically will spend their day in the lab or their nights or whatever, and then they'll come home and they'll write or, or do whatever that kind of stuff is. And then the other type of scientist, which is what I am and what all of my colleagues mostly are is uh, we all work with uh, data on computers and all theoretical models. So everything we do is on a computer. So it's just me sitting in front of my laptop for as many hours as I need to be. Um, so in that way, it's like weirdly similar to like, kind of like having like a creative career or like something in like social media, because our whole, everything, all of our time is spent on computers. So it's a, so it's, it's funny. It's, just, it's a typically late start. And then, um, yeah, I spent all of my time. So all of the type of research that I do involves either running theoretical models. So that's just, you know, pressing away on these uh, codes that I've written, uh, programs in Python and different like programming languages and things like that. Or you're working with real data from actual telescopes. So like I have analyzed and kind of worked with data from the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, and so, and also the tests, um, this is the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. It's an exoplanet um, observational kind of little uh, observatory. And so I've worked with data from both of those uh, observatories. And so that means just like taking the data, creating code or using someone else's code to look for certain things. And, and you know, it's, it's a lot of like that kind of stuff. So you're either working with, with theoretical models or you're working with real data and you are pretty much just, um, it depends on, so specifically like I study exoplanet atmospheres. So I run models to kind of figure out what might be present in an exoplanet atmosphere that we can't observe yet. Um, and so that involves a couple hours of running models, and then you pretty much just have to disseminate that knowledge. So you have to write everything up into a paper. You're constantly trying to get papers published. So a lot of our time is spent writing, uh, like way more time than I ever, ever imagined that scientists would spend writing. Um, so it's kind of interesting how you really do have to have like this wide skill set in order to be a good scientist, because you have to be able to not only write the results of your work, but write them in a way that is, uh, you know, understandable by a lot of people. And it, it reads well, and it's clear, like good papers stand out a lot better than bad papers. And it's also something you have to think about. So yeah, it's, it's tons of time in front of a computer um, before the pandemic. And hopefully, again, within the next few months, it's also kind of a lot of time traveling, because what you do with those results that you write up is that you want to get them out into the world. And you want people to know, hey, I did this thing. So you'll give presentations and you'll kind of plug your own research and encourage people to go. It, it's it's so funny how similar it can be to like, like social media type things. Like you literally travel around the country and say like, go check out, go read my paper, like go check out my website. And it and you also meet people and then you collab, you literally collaborate with them. So like you, all the co-authors on my papers that I lead are people that I've met through networking that I collaborate with. And so it's it's um, a lot of communication and yeah, a lot of time spent in front of a computer. So it, it looks kind of similar to a lot of jobs that other people have in that sense. This is kind of cool to hear because I have like one friend who is more similar. So you said there's a lab scientist and then a, is it research scientist? Is that what you said? Um, or, like, com like modelers or like okay. data scientists or data just like scientists. anything involving computers. Okay. Yeah. So I have like a friend who is doing what you're doing basically. And then mm -hmm. my brother is like a lab scientist. So it's kind of here to cool to hear it all relate to space. But where my head is going is 
So you said a lab scientist is more in person or like doing the physical like lab work, but what does that look like for something that you're doing? Like with outer space, like, are they going to outer space? (laughs) So, yeah. So it's actually, so it's, um, both. So we have, we still have vaults and I mean like bank vaults full of uh rocks from the moon when we landed in the 60s and what they're doing is the reason why they keep they keep so many stockpiled in the vaults is that as technology improves over time we can start to run new tests on them so we're learning stuff about the rocks that we collected from the moon in the 60s still today with when we create new instruments and new ways to um kind of like you know figure out what what we're looking at. So that's one thing that's really interesting is that anything that we have collected in the past, we're still constantly working on in, in, in the future as technology advances. The other thing is that, um, so yeah, so we might not be going uh, in person, but what we are sending is a lot of rovers, right? And a lot of probes and things that will eventually return back to earth. Um, a huge aspect uh, of lab scientists at NASA is lab scientists who study and work with um, what we think the rovers on Mars might encounter. So they create the um, instrumentation that goes on the rovers in order to do whatever, like if it's mass spectrometry or like, it's like very similar to just kind of things that people learn in like basic chemistry classes, like gas chromatography, like collecting a sample, pulling it through a tube, you know, running, you know, light or, or certain gases through it to see what's present, whatever, like, like that kind of thing. So they, you know, help, uh, with the planning of what we think we're going to encounter. And then they also, when those samples come back, they're going to be the ones that are running all the tests in the lab and are responsible for that. Um, we have that going a lot, going on a lot also with asteroids, Um, So people that are meteors, people that collect, you know, meteors that land and take those into testing. Um, Yeah. And so we're getting samples back from asteroids in the next couple of years. We're going to get samples back from Mars. Um, We also, so astrobiologists study um, what kind of, uh, so like lab scientists will study what kind of environments life can live in. And so a lot of times they're dealing with microbes and they'll put the microbes in different types of environments, like certain percents of oxygen, like what's the cutoff for them to survive or certain amounts of like, you know, CO2, like creating greenhouse gases, people literally create like earth-like environments inside of their, uh, labs, which is really fascinating. The lab science is, is super important and it, it looks really cool. And so if you're into like biology and chemistry, um, like I never would have known that you could really pursue that at NASA cause you don't think about it, but there's actually a lot of opportunity for that. So I would obviously, uh, encourage anyone who is interested in that to consider that. Cause it's, it's only a growing field. That is so cool. When you said that we still have vaults of like samples from the moon that blew my mind. And this is so stupid, but the first thing I thought about, I was like, okay, so the conspiracy theories are not true. Like we went to the moon, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) We went to the moon. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I can't believe how many people don't think we did, but I promise we did. (laughs) Okay, cool. So you heard it here first. We went to the moon for sure. Um, so, so is like your ultimate dream to go to space? Like if you had the opportunity, uh, would you do it? Yes, it is my ultimate dream. Um, everything I think about is like, how am I going to get to space? I, it's interesting. I just, I feel like I'm in a very unique place in my life where I just, I don't have a lot of things really holding me here. Like I don't, okay. So I, I'm not in a relationship. 
I don't have a huge family. I don't have kids. I don't have like any reason not to go. Um, I have always just been super into exploration. I'm really big into like scuba diving and I travel a ton and I just love putting myself in new environments and experiencing things outside of my comfort zone. I think it's really exciting. I think it's like one of the most exciting things that you can do in life. And it's what really keeps me moving the way that I'm going to get there. I, I don't, I don't know. There's um, a lot of different opportunities that are popping up for civilians and what we kind of consider as normal people to go to space. So I'm looking into those avenues, but also, you know, still going to continue forward. I would apply for the astronaut program. You have to have a master's. So like, I'll wait until I get my PhD, but I'm going to start doing that right away. Uh, I plan on getting my pilot's license eventually, which should help. So yeah, I, I really want to go to space. Okay. You saying all these things about a master's, a PhD, all these certifications. How are you managing all of this? I'm just curious. Like, how do you spend your time outside of work? Yeah. Um, it's really hard. So I think, so this is an interesting factor into, so again, so I grew up my whole life living in Maryland, like I said. And so even in college, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I went to high school in Salisbury. There's a lot of kids in Salisbury that go to high school there and then stay for college. And so I, I've always been lucky enough to be in environments where I have, I have had my, I have had tons of friends and I've had friends around me for my whole life. And I never took it for granted, but I didn't realize how different my life would be when I moved across the country and I lost that sense of security. But what it did kind of grant me with is being forced to spend a lot of time alone and really look inward and really figure out what I need to prioritize right now and like how to kind of do all of that. I think that if I was still in Maryland doing the same thing, I would kind of be distracting myself. Like, I know I like, you know, I, it's like, I know what I need to do next to do this thing, whether it's a PhD assignment or, or something. And I would no, I'm going to go hang out with my friends instead, or I'm going to go like, you know, Oh, this person's calling me. I'm going to go meet up with them. I'm going to go, go to this place, go to that place. And I just don't really have that anymore at all. And it's been obviously rough to not have like that support system, but I do think it's been vital in kind of forcing me to like, to be blunt, get my shit together. You know, like it's, it's kind of like everything is really on me now. It's I'm, I'm, I am, you know, very independent in this whole journey. And I just kind of use that as like the first thing that drives me to like hold it all together. So I say no a lot. Um, I definitely would be burnt out if I said yes to every single thing that came my way. And that's been something that I've had to learn, obviously, through years of mistakes. But for the most part, it's given me like a good sense of separation in grad school where I don't feel like I'm completely tied to the department in everything that I have to do. Um, so I just kind of like put my effort towards the right places. I'm really conscious of where I put my energy. And that's how, kind of how like the balance really thrives because as long as the things that I'm doing are feeding me back with some type of positive energy, it never really feels impossible, right? So if I'm like consciously just not putting myself in places where I'm getting drained, I actually feel like the balance can come 
fairly easily obviously like so I mean I don't know like for example I like weekends like I don't go I'm like so tired like I don't go out I you know I can't be like oh like it's all balanced like I I party here then no like I like the whole the lack of a social aspect has honestly been vital in all of this and I think that once I settle in and hopefully make more friends I'll probably have like you know different problems in that realm but yeah I I don't know I I listen to my body when I have to rest and I I always rest I think that prioritizing that has been really important but yeah I don't know I spending a lot of time alone has has taught me kind of how to like balance all of that Yeah. And I love that you're so blunt about it too, is like, you know, I'm not going out, I'm not doing these things. Um, and it is about priorities. So like people listening, if you're struggling finding time to do these things, it's ultimately like, what is most important to you? And I like how you put it that way. It's not balance all these millions of things. It's like, no, let's take a step back and kind of figure out what is actually important. And right. It's pretty cool. Um, And then, okay. So something that's been going in my head, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this or if you like, if what you are researching plays into this at all, but so we've had a few like astrology guests on and we talk about astrology. Does that like anything you're researching, does it anything like validate astrology in a way or like the pull of the moon and stuff like that? Right. So, okay. Like, so my, my answer has to be no, but that's like the science. So, okay. So in general, astronomy and astrophysics are science and astrology is pseudoscience. Therefore, typically scientists who are astronomers and astrophysicists obviously do not support and believe in astrology. Now here. Okay. So if you're a scientist listening in my field, just skip, hit the skip button a couple times or, or just pretend like you, okay, because this is, it's, it's, it might come across worse than I want it to. Here's my thing. I don't, it's, it's very similar to what you just said, the pull the moon thing, right? Okay. So I don't necessarily believe that I don't necessarily believe in like astrological signs. Like my whole thing is I could read the description of almost all of them and be like, oh, I bet I'm that one. I bet I'm like, I relate to different parts of all of them. I see how people relate. Yes. Sometimes people are like, oh my God, you're such a Capricorn. Like I, I, I understand. And like, that makes it hard for me too. But so I, but I try to generally say like, I don't necessarily really believe in that. Like the position of where we are in the sky has changed. Like, as you know, like the astrological signs should technically change over time. Like it, it's not, it's not really true. So that I kind of, I, I do stray away from, and I don't necessarily support. However, so there have been, and there have been scientific papers that show that, and I've seen this because I'm, I, like I said, my mom's a nurse when there is a full moon, there is a massive increase in the number of hospitalizations, the number of violent, uh, you know, crimes, everything. Like it's, People literally, it's like a a mental shift that occurs (laughs) just globally and no one really can say why. Right. And so I, I've noticed that. I think that like my mom used to always go into work and be like, oh my God, it's a full moon tonight. Like, it's going to be so bad. And she would be right every time. So I'm like, okay, like there has to be something going on with this. The other thing is again, like I truly do believe in energy and energy kind of balances. And I, Yes, we have a, an object in the sky that is tugging on our planet so, so strong that we have tides and oceans. Like, 
I would not be surprised if the kind of like positioning of objects in the sky or those kinds of things had some effect on our daily moods, thoughts, feelings. I, I, I actually, this is something that I actually really want to look into more in a scientific way, because I know that it's, it's just not really truly usually done scientifically in like a peer reviewed, you know, reliable way, but that because the whole thing with science is that someone has to fund your science. And so it has to be, it has to bring something to the, and no one's sitting around being like, we need to get to the bottom of, you know, astrology and, you know, it, it's just, there's not like a lot of funding going towards figuring that out because all the money comes from people believing in astrology. So that's the other thing about astrology is it's, it's a huge money-making thing. It really, that's the other reason why it's, it's a little bit like very much of a pseudoscience because I can see how a lot of people are taken advantage of it by that. And I don't, that is also, I'm like, oh, that kind of bothers me. But yeah, I see things and I feel things and I experience things to where I'm like, there's no way that this isn't affecting us somehow. We're going to take a quick pause here to talk about one of our favorite partners, Seed. If you love your gut and want to take care of it, (laughs) check out Seed. It's a daily prebiotic and probiotic supplement. They call it a symbiotic because it's both of them in one. And if you aren't taking care of your gut right now, you should start. Yeah. There's this thing called a microbiome that's inside and outside our body. And that's kind of the connection that helps, you know, your gut health and your skin health, which is why I started taking seed is for my acne. Um, so what seed is, is 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains. And it's important to note that these probiotics are not what you find in your yogurts or kombuchas or anything like that. Like you can truly only get this from an effective probiotic such as seed. Yeah. And it's really cool. So they have this thing called biocap technology. You can see it. If you put the pill up to the light, there's a cap inside of the cap. So half of it dissolves in your stomach. The other half makes it through your digestive tract. So you really know that these probiotics are getting to where they need to go. Yeah. And they have a really nice sustainable glass jar refill system. And on top of this, all packaging materials for the monthly shipments and your beginner um, starter kit has zero plastic. It's all recyclable or biodegradable, or even one of the little fillers dissolves in water. So really cool to try. Uh, Definitely check it out if you order seed. And not to worry, they are vegan, they are gluten-free, and there's no refrigeration required. So it's really great for traveling. If you want to try it out, use code HWH at checkout to receive 15% off your first month of seed. You also get free US shipping with every order and you can cancel or skip a month at any time. Let's hear that again, because that's a good deal. Code HWH at checkout to receive 15% off your first month, free US shipping with every order, and you can cancel and skip a month at any time. So no pressure but you're not going to want to skip. So click that link in the show notes and check out seed. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's a hot take for some people, but it like, obviously it makes sense. And I, I love astrology, but I think it's, it's just fun. You know, I think it's fun for some people, even if there isn't science backing it, I think it's okay. If it gives you any sort of, um, a good feeling from it, you know, and that's okay. But that totally makes sense. Something I will say though, and this isn't really astrology related, but moon related, 
like we're all women here, like our periods, our moon cycles, right? Like typically you're either on the full moon cycle or the new moon cycle, which is really interesting. And that's something you can like literally see in your day-to-day or monthly life, you know? So it's obviously affecting us in some way, but who knows? I have no idea. Yes. Um, One more quick point. I just really want to make to the, cause I also, I want to be sensitive to this point that astrology is also very, very, very prevalent in a lot of like cultural backgrounds. And it's very important to those types of communities, like indigenous communities. Um, and I fully support it. And I don't think it's, it's not necessarily harmful. It's harmful sometimes, but yet, like, just like you said, it's fine. Like let people, you know, let people enjoy things. I fully agree with that. I just want to make it clear that like, I absolutely support that type of thing. But yeah, the, the period cycle thing is, is wild to me. It's something that I, I, um, I'm a TA I'm teaching for the first time ever this quarter. It's the ninth week of the quarter. So I just, this, you know, we're almost done, but Uh, the very first week. So I'm teaching like an undergrad course and the very, very first week of class, I taught them the phases of the moon. And it wasn't until I had to teach them to someone else that I appreciated that connection and even like thought about how crazy that is. So yeah, you're, you're ahead of me. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. I love the moon. Um, and just the fact that, like you said, it's creating a tide, like we're, what is it? 98% water. So how can we not be pulled by 70? Thank you. See you're a scientist. I'm not. Um, but like it, it's probably affecting us. I don't know. So I want to shift gears a little bit here because obviously I found you when we got connected through social media and I'm just so curious. Cause like, obviously I reached out to you via social media your social media presence is so cool. You're very active on it. And that's probably partially because of your job, because you have to connect with these people, like you said, but are you getting like wild outreach requests all the time? And like weird people on social media trying to talk to you? I definitely do. I get a lot of really weird emails. I get a lot of really weird, I get weirder Twitter DMs. I think that, well, Instagram is just like creepy, but I feel like all girls get that. Like, I don't feel like the the things that I get on Instagram are too like extreme compared to other single women my age. But on Twitter and my email, like I get people who will literally email PDFs that they have written where they're like, I have, I have figured out how the universe came to be. I need you to read this. I need you to send it to everyone at at NASA that you work with, or like just these create like insane theories. Like, Hey, like I figured out that, that everyone's an alien and, you know, like on this day, like, like crazy end of the world conspiracy, but they're not just like, here's my conspiracy. It's like, here's my conspiracy. Here's the book I wrote on it. It's like people who have literally dedicated their lives to things that don't make sense. It's crazy. Yeah. I get a lot of wild messages like that to the point where I'm like, I'm very concerned. Like I almost, I, yeah, nothing I can do, but it's, it's, it's insane. (laughs) Literally insane. And have you ever taken the time to read any of them? I, so I usually just because there's, I just can't wrap my head around how they can even like begin to, to, to do this. So I always like check them out. Like I'll school. I, I don't know if I've ever like sat and read all of it, but I, I'll, you know, I'll scroll through, I'll, I'll look at it just because I'm like, there's no way this is real. Like, what are you, this is great. It's just, it's just mind blowing. It's just something, it's an aspect of the job that I never, uh, imagined would exist. 
That is so crazy. Oh my God. So (laughs) I have another dumb question for you. Aliens. What do you think about them? (laughs) Okay. So it's not a dumb question. Okay. So pretty much if aliens existed right now, they could get to earth. I think that we would all be, we would all be dead. Um, it would be done. Like, you know, they, they, it, it, they wouldn't be hanging out watching because what's the point? What, there's nothing, we're not that cool. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think that they would have annihilated the planet a long time ago. And so I think that, yeah, in general, like if something existed that could potentially be a threat to our lives, it, they, our lives would end and it would be done. And it wouldn't even be something that we could think about or prepare for. It would just boom, you know? Okay. But here's why, you know, I don't think we have to worry about that in our lifetimes or why I don't necessarily think that's something to be afraid of at all. So the thing about space that, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around anything when you're talking about space, because you're talking about the largest distances and the largest objects in the universe. And there's just, it's, it's literally impossible for the human brain to wrap our minds around most of these scales of things, but something that most of us can start to learn or, or understand from an early age is that space is really big, right? So space is big and it's, it's endless technically, right? So it goes on forever, but even our distance to the objects in our solar system is still really far. Like, so, I mean, it would take us, you know, like 30 years to get to Jupiter or whatever, but if we, and that's just a planet in our solar system, but if we wanted to travel to a planet outside of our solar system, an exoplanet, so the closest, let's, let's, let's pick the closest one to us, right? So closest one is Proxima uh, Centauri. It would take humans at least a hundred thousand years, period. Unless we, so the only way that you can get around that is creating a wormhole, which as of right now is physically impossible or time traveling, which is physically impossible. Um, so it would take you hundred thousand years. Okay, so that, that's the space aspect, right? So first they have to get to us. Okay, now let's say that they have now, okay, but like fair, let's say they have a technology where they can get to us. Let's say that they have, have figured out how to travel faster than the speed of light. Somehow, some way they've defied physics and they can get to us. Okay. But here's the thing, here's the real other thing about space that we don't really spend a lot of time comprehending. It's really big, but the thing that's crazy is the amount of time that it has existed for. And the fact that each solar system in space is created, is is born and dies, like the star that is controlling, so like our sun, our sun has only been here for, you know, a couple billion years. So, but the, you, in technicality, the universe is, you know, like what hundreds of billions of, like so old that you can't, you, you don't know, we don't know. So the real reality I think is that, so yeah, our earth, so, you know, solar system's been here for what, 4 billion years, or it's been here for 4 billion years, but humans have only existed for a couple hundred thousand years and they're not going to exist forever. So the lifetime of living beings on a planet is technically truly a blink of an eye in this in the universe's lifetime right so the universe is going on endlessly for billions of years humans are here for literally like a snap of the finger a second in that time period we're here for a couple 
hundred thousand years and then we go extinct. The sun's going to blow up eventually. The earth's going to get too hot. Something will happen. Humans aren't going to survive forever. So because of the way that solar systems all are created at different times, like, so we are going to exist for this time period. And then maybe 4 billion years from now, another earth will be born that's similar to this one. And you'll have similar to something that's human life. But the chances of those two species or whatever you want to call them existing at the same time in the universe, that's where your odds get really, really, really low, right? So space, the, um, the distance is a problem, but I think the time is a much bigger problem. And just the fact that not like the whole entire universe doesn't boom exist. It's the universe, but it's technically empty. And you have protoplanetary disks that create planets but this happens in different parts, all at different times. And these times aren't a few weeks apart from each other. They're a few million years apart from each other. You know what I mean? So it's it's the because of the time aspect, more so than the space aspect, even though I still don't know how they would get to us. I don't believe that it's something that we're going to encounter in our lifetimes, unless it's at the very end and that's how we, we go. <laughs> and that's bye-bye civilization, but yeah. That that's that's my take. <laughs> that is honestly, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone put it that way. And it made so much sense to me. And having maybe the possibility of different human beings or whatever it is in a different, I don't even know these terms very well, but <laughs> in a solar different system. Solar yeah. system. Yeah. Sure. Um, living at different times. Or galaxy, either yeah, one. Yeah. Like that makes sense to me. So I've literally yeah. never heard anyone else put it that way until now. So that I'm my now my brain is like that weird thing where it's like holy shit like we're the only living it just is weird to me it's that's the part that I've always been like oh maybe there is aliens because it's just right and so okay I'm not discounting I so that I think that there so we I want to be also be clear we have never found life on another planet and life meaning anything from microbes to intelligent life a lot of people think, oh, we found life on Mars. No, we've never found life on Mars. We've never, ever, 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 ever found life on another planet. I think it's possible for life forms to exist on other planets, like, like kind of like I said, like that microbial life type thing. But the the time, it's also because the time scale of evolution for intelligent life to develop is also develop is much different. So um, yeah, I think I do, I do really want, I mean, if there is other intelligent life out there, they're just so far away that there's no way we're going to be able to detect them. They could exist, but I don't think we'll cross paths. I think it makes sense. I'm a little bit disappointed. I have to say <laughs> no, but I, I think that totally makes sense. Something I just want to say, I really appreciate about you is the way you can like explain these things in very simple terms. Like I've never felt like I could understand space to the extent that like I can conceptualize these things and you're doing a very good job at explaining this for like just a, your average person. And I really appreciate that about you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to ask about, I mean, this is like really invigorating to me or it's an invigorating conversation. I'm really excited about it. And I'm sure people who are listening will feel the same way. Like, I feel like a lot of people grow up and they're like, oh my God, space and astronauts is so exciting. And then it kind of fizzles out. Um, so do you have any advice or resources for people who 
like want to learn more or maybe, um, cause like right now, once again, like I said, I really am understanding what you're saying, but I can't really go in and read a research article and understand it. Like, do you have any resources for your average person trying to learn? Yeah. Oh, it's a great question. I honestly, I could do a better job of actually gathering good ones and providing some them to you after this, but like in general, what I would kind of tell people, like, if you are just, if you're just interested, you want to learn more, you have questions that you want to be answered, or you're just kind of like bored one night and feel like whatever, honestly, this is where I started and where I still encourage people to start. YouTube has so many great, uh, videos, so many great people on there who are actual scientists who are doing this kind of thing on the side. Um, there's, there's just really great. Like, that's where I would start. If you just want to be like, okay, like what's a black hole, how does it work? Like, I'm, I'm curious about, or like, what's, you know, what is like, what is this type of exoplanet? What is that? YouTube is awesome. It's great for every single age of person on every scale of intelligence. Like it's just, there are really, really, really awesome people on there with great resources. So that's just kind of like for the answering like questions and stuff like that. Um, if you are like in the age where you're trying to figure out like what you want to do for a career, um, like maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're in high school or college or whatever. And you're thinking about like, so I think it comes back to what you said. A lot of people think about this stuff. I feel like it's such a, uh, inner child type of, um, job kind of thing. Like, I, I don't know. It's something that like everyone loves space when they're a kid. And then people think that, oh, you just kind of grow out of it or you're a huge nerd and you don't. I feel like I left and came back. And I feel like I came back to my inner child because I didn't like do this traditional thing that would have helped me, but I still, if you love it, like seriously, just 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 try to do it. Um, so in that being said, like, so from as early as you can, prioritize taking like physics and math and computer science programs. And then when you're time, when you're ready to uh, like apply to, I mean, like obviously in high school, there's only so much you can do, but definitely do research when you're an undergrad, but also like, so NASA has great um, resources. If you just like Google NASA, NASA astrobiology, there's a NASA astrobiology website that tells you about all different types of um resources for different stages of your career in what you want to do, different schools that are uh, accepting, like they have astrobiology programs. Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends like what kind of like thing, like if you, if you really just want to like learn more, honestly, TikTok is a great place and it's almost, I need to start making TikToks. It's this whole thing that I've been battling for like the last few months where I keep telling myself I'm going to do it. But I have seen a lot of great communities pop up where people are learning a lot of good information. And there's also other great scientists on there too. Like it's great how it's really infiltrated social media now to where you can learn a lot about space through those types of outlets. Because like you said, like scientific papers are not that accessible. Um, some, we have these things called like, um, so Astrobytes is like this journal where they take scientific papers and they try like in astronomy and they try to crunch them down into things that are understandable. So you could look up Astrobytes. Those are awesome. That's like, if you wanted to stay, um, kind of current with like recent research, but like, yeah, it just depends. Start, start the internet is is your best friend when it comes to everything. You can find everything about space right there. 
Okay. That's really good to know. Cause I'm going to like read a bunch and stay up all night probably after this. <laughs> I'm so excited. So, okay. I, I want to like pivot a little bit to, um, just talking about like your life in general. Um, so I have, I guess, a, a like two questions here. So first of all, I'm so curious, you mentioned that you were single, like dating and like having such a cool job. Like, do you, do you like start with that up front or do you like hide it? And then you're like, Oh, I like working with planets. Like, I feel like that's so cool. I can tell you right now that, uh, four, almost four years of doing this. I still don't know what the right answer is because you would not believe. Okay. But in general, so this is generally how it goes. Most people think it's really, really, really cool for like five seconds. And then it never gets brought up again, which is totally fine. It's so funny. I grew up when I was, I never had a boyfriend in high school. I had like one boyfriend in undergrad. And I just always was like, I just wasn't that girl. I just like didn't date a lot. And I always was like, I got my job in NASA and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm moving into my own apartment. I'm going to be working at NASA. I'm going to be living in this new town. Like I'm going to, I'm going to date so much and it's going to be so awesome. And I'm going to have the time of my life. And I was so humbled by how much people just did not care. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it didn't, it was funny. Like I, I guess people just have a different types of appreciation for it. But I think that overall, what I've seen is that it's actually really hard to date when you are doing something that requires a lot of intelligence, because I've seen a lot of men like not used to dating someone that is very like successful and and forward thinking and independent and getting a PhD and doing things that aren't really that typical. Um, It's almost kind of can be seen as a threat. And that has like put a lot of rifts in a lot of my relationships. Um, I think that people also think that it's hard to relate to me because of the fact that not many So less than 2% of people in the world have a PhD and I don't ever meet people in my day to day really that are like, Oh, I have a PhD or I'm getting my PhD. You know, it's not something that a lot of people do. And so I think that it can be seen as something that like, I don't know, it just, it just kind of paints me in like a different light than I wish that I was getting painted sometimes. Like I wish that I could just like be the more like chill, relatable, laid back girl. But it's like, oh no, this girl's like an astrophysicist and she's getting a PhD and she worked at NASA. Like that's like super like aggressive, you know? Um, It's been weird. I mean, for the most part, it filters out boys that I wouldn't, you know, get along with well anyways, because they don't know how to date someone who's independent and and strong-willed. So like, in general, I was hoping that like, okay, this will help me like weed out the bad people, but finding the good people has been near impossible. Um, yeah, it's been really hard. Do you feel like people, when you tell them that you're on your way to get a PhD, do you feel like the reaction is about, oh, she's too busy? Do you ever get that in response? Well, I guess, no, no. the other thing, it's the funny thing is that I don't think that a lot of people without a PhD can comprehend the amount of time I spend working on my PhD and the amount of time I spend working. So I feel like that's not their first thought, but it's not necessarily like an intimidation thing. I just think they're like, oh, she's a nerd. Like, oh, we're not going to like, we're not going to like 
relate on a lot because I can't really like relate to her. You know what I mean? Not necessarily intimidation, just like, I feel like it kind of just puts me in a box that is think, okay, but it's here. Let's think about like astrophysicists and pop culture. Like, like people are like, Oh, like Sheldon from big bang theory. When they talk to me, I'm like, like, no, like, I'm not like, like I, you know, I'm not, you don't have to be a massive nerd. Like, it's just the thing. It's just like media and all these different things have painted. Like, of course, like, oh, she's an astrophysicist. Like, of course they're going to think I'm a nerd. And I, I am a little bit of one, but like, I'm also all of these other things too, that I think get clouded sometimes. Yeah. Okay. That's stupid. I think that whole, I, that goes to the um there's a term I'm looking for but it doesn't matter uh the thing where people are like oh beauty or brains but you can't have both and I'm like that's bullshit what like who, yeah what is that that's the most sexist thing I've ever heard <laughs> yeah that I deal with a lot because I don't look like the typical astrophysicist and that was a thing not only with like dating relationships but also just you know everyone at NASA was amazing but when I would travel outside of NASA and do those conferences and go to those like institutional universities or places where everyone else was a man like I still you know one of the the first time I ever I have a Twitter Astro Daria and the first time I ever like went kind of like viral on it was when I was telling a story about how someone told me that I didn't look like a scientist and it's just this, this theme that, you know, it's been good because I'm, I constantly try to break down those barriers of what a scientist looks like, which is why I try to be so like, you know, as, as hard it is, as it is for me, sometimes I try to be so present on social media and just like talk about things and just express myself, but also talk about the science stuff to like remind people that, you know, scientists are people, they're not the type of people that you think that they look like necessarily and they also have all these other characteristics to them that don't just revolve around what they're doing yeah and you brought up the point of going to conferences and being like one of the only women how is that like have you ever gotten I guess like uncomfortable do men make comments in that world or how how is that yeah so generally like for I've seen that happen to a lot of the women in my field. I, so I have had, of course, I've had little things happen here and there, but so at NASA itself, like working there, it was amazing. We did not tolerate that. It was very, there actually, well, there, there really wasn't many women there, but we were, everyone there was awesome. And I never, ever, I can truly say I never had to deal with anything like weird or misogynistic while I was there. And it was awesome. But yeah, especially because honestly, like I traveled, especially in Europe, like Europe is not as, uh, they're not on the same kind of page as us with like some of the progressive thinking that Americans have, especially towards like LGBTQ, uh, rights and things like that. So it's kind of like along the same line with like women and women's rights and how they see women in society. Um, so I've had very uncomfortable experiences in Europe where I just, it's one thing, like I never, when I was at NASA and I looked around and it was all men, I never felt uncomfortable because I always, they were on my, they were on my team. They were my, they, you know, we all worked together. We were supportive. They never shut me down. They never made me feel, they were like thankful and happy that I was there. And it was, it was awesome. But like in Europe, I, there was times where I looked around and I could just, the stairs were different. It was like, it was almost like a negative thing that I was like, like what's she doing here? You know, like, uh, you know, this is, this is weird. And like, just, I could feel that the energies there were very different. And so that happened in Europe a few times. 
Um, and I know that it's again, like the other thing. So I could never, ever, ever be doing my PhD if I was at an institution that was not like that was less supportive than the one I'm at now, or specifically my department. Like I have an amazing advisor. I have a wonderful department. It's a, just, it's an environment just like it was at NASA where I feel safe and secure and supported. But I know of other departments, astronomy departments that graduate students are in at other institutions, especially the Ivy Leagues, they are not in those types of good environments. And they're dealing with that same similar thing where it's, you know, no one there looks like the people around them. And I'm just lucky enough to not have to experience that at my institution, but it's still happening to like a lot of my friends. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, wow, my voice just cracked. I sound like a prepubescent male. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so we, we like to end all of our episodes with the same question, but Daria, how are you living your best life? I'm still learning how to live my best life every day. Um, but I think it's just taking advantage of, of the things that are, um, motivating you in that moment and pushing you forward in that moment and not thinking about the past or the present or past of the future. Um, being present is truly how I try to live my best life. Um, I, yeah, I think just prioritizing the things that, that make you feel good and, you know, again, being present and just going after what makes you feel full inside and cutting out the things that don't. Well said. And I think everyone should definitely live that way. Um, cause it's all about what makes you feel good and recharges you is how I like to refer it for myself is I get depleted very often. So, um, outside of that, how can people find you? What are your socials? Um, if you want to share them, your Twitters, your Instagram, any research sure. that you're doing too? Yeah. So my, um, Instagram handle is planet scientist. Yes. Planet like the planet and scientist like scientists. I don't know. I, I might change it one day, but for now it's planet scientist. My Twitter is astro Daria. That one's going to stick around. Um, one day, hopefully I'll have a TikTok. So keep an eye out for me on there. Um, I have published two papers in the last year and I sent them to you earlier. So if you want to link them somewhere else, we can share those. If there's any scientists listening who want to tell me everything I did wrong, feel free. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah. Follow me on Instagram. Love it. Daria, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for answering all of our crazy space questions. Uh, We really, really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you.